Aloha, and welcome to Thumbing Through Yesterday, the podcast where we pull our favorite books down off the shelf, blow the dust off of them, and remind ourselves why it is we love them so. My name is Tom Galley. Joining me today, we've got Tony Pasquale. Thanks, Tom. And today we're talking about one of my favorites from a very long time ago, <laughs> uh, White Fang by Jack London. Long, long ago. I, You know, as soon as you said White Fang was going to be our next book up, I'm like, oh yeah, White Fang, I love that book. And then I realized I don't think I've read it since grade school. I doubt I've picked it up <laughs> since grade school or maybe, maybe the first year of high school. I, I remembered literally not one thing about this other than there was a dog called White Fang. Yeah. Uh, I remembered maybe three things about it. Yeah. Um, but I got to tell you, it uh, it was a new experience. It really was. It was, <laughs> it was almost as if I hadn't read it before. Did it, did it catch you by surprise? What caught you by surprise? Because I was surprised by a lot of things. I was surprised by a lot of things, too. Um so, number one, of course, when I read this in, in grade school, in early grade school, I assume, um, it was just a fantastic adventure tale, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, that's what I remember about it. Um, reading it this time, I could not believe the descriptive language. Um, hmm. I could not believe what a wordsmith Jack London was. He, I just assumed it would be a pulp novel. Oh, um, no. He's a phenomenal know. writer. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and that was unexpected to me. I, that, I I enjoyed that. That was a pleasant surprise. Uh, I was I was my first reaction was holy shit! Someone let me read this in grade school. This book is <laughs> so violent. <laughs> it is. It is that. Yeah. Let's see what else. The uh, you know in my mind it was the story of White Fang and Whedon. What's his name? Whedon Scott, Whedon Smith, something, Whedon, something like that. Like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, but I mean, you're 25 percent of the way into the book before White Fang is born. Yes. And I know this because the Kindle tells you how far you are into <laughs> yeah. the book. You're a third of the way into the book before they discover man. Before the first time they come across an Indian encampment. Yep. I mean, Whedon doesn't show up until the last I don't know 20 percent of the book. Yep. Um, and yet, in my mind, in my memory, that was the story. That's that's what I was thinking too. I think I was conflating it with Call of the Wild uh, a little bit, which is more of a, a man and his dog tale. I yeah. think I haven't read Call of the Wild in a long time either, though, so I don't know. I'll, I'll be picking that up shortly, just because you can't read one without the other. You know? Exactly. Yeah, I just bought it for my Kindle. Um, I, I was struck by another couple things. Uh, one is how much like a science fiction novel this is in places. Uh, it was fascinating to me. There's a, basically an entire chunk of the book. I think it's divided up into five uh, parts. And one of the parts is just young White Fang learning about the world. Mm -hmm. and, and it's written from his POV. And it is very much like an alien exploring a new planet. Yeah, and it's, it's fantastic. And, you know, and, and everything is about the tender tip of his nose. <laughs> yes. You know, so when, when he's first, you know... Prodding the world, right? His nose against the, the rock wall. Ooh, you know, that's yeah. tender. And then he goes eventually goes through the, the white wall, but nothing hits his nose. Yeah. Um, but he takes his first step onto uneven terrain and goes tumbling <laughs> in the kayai. I can you know, I can just hear the poor little cub, you know, kayai, kayai. Yeah. That was that was that was interesting. That was that was fascinating and very much, you know, scratches that sort of, you know, uh, golden age science fiction competent man uh, thing for me yeah. where he's where he's just like well i'm in this environment and let's discover what the rules are and how to make my way in the world and yeah so yeah and and you know he is very deliberate about that continually yeah, yeah. um one thing i would say about this novel as a whole is i don't know that i can think of a better example of character evolution um mm. 
and you know, um, Jack is not at all shy about spending as much time as he needs to walking us through the developmental changes that are happening inside of White Fang and what the what the reminding us of the historical pressures that put him where he is and the mm-hmm. existing pressures that are changing or reinforcing the current direction. Yeah. Although some of that some of that was painful to read. I mean, there are there are a lot of beatings. If you're someone who loves dogs and don't want to read about dogs being beaten, this is not the book for you. Good point. Yeah, good, good safety <laughs> thing. Have, have your comfort blanket or read it in your security yeah. corner or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Also, a lot of dog-on-dog violence, dog-on-man violence. Yeah. A little bit of man-on-man violence. A little bit. A little bit of man-on-man. Yeah. Uh, surprisingly little. I think that Beauty Smith got everything that came to him. So, oh yeah, yeah, what a <laughs> what a turd. There are some amazing characters in this book. Yeah, uh, I got to tell you the the favorite my favorite part of the books before White Fang ever even shows up. Uh, it's the whole extended prologue uh, talking about White Fang's mother, who mm-hmm. was only called the She Wolf at She-Wolf. that stage. Yep, and and it's interesting because. You know, as, as the book was really, really engaging, but at the same time, there's not a lot of. It didn't feel there's a lot of narrative drive once White Fang shows up. It's like White Fang explores the environment. White Fang is shaped by his environment. White Fang encounters man. White Fang meets a better man. Uh, you know, but just like things just sort of happen to White Fang, and he's he's interacting with his environment, but it's not like there's a there's a really a story happening of what's going to happen next to this dog. Um, but the first couple of chapters about the mm-hmm. uh, the sled team. Oh my god, that was riveting. It was. It was so good and I loved the the incredibly dry wit and economy <laughs> of language that those those two men used in interacting with yeah. each other and you know, in acknowledging the plight they were in. Oh yeah. Um that's incredible. It's so pragmatic. It's like uh it's like the uh, airplane captains when their plane is crashing and they're just like on the radio going, we're losing altitude. Yep. Just matter of fact. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But, you know, the, the moment when one of them realizes that there's an extra dog in the camp. Yeah. You know, and, and then they start to figure out what's going on. And then you're watching. It's like, no, no, <laughs> Fatty, don't go out there. You know. Oh, well, okay. They're going to eat Fatty now. Yeah. And then, and then I mean, talk about a, uh, well, they call it a time lock in movies. But they have six dogs and they just start disappearing one by one. And you know that when they have no dogs left, that's it for them, right? They can't they can't drive their sled anymore. They're just going to like have to camp out and as long as their firewood will keep them alive, that's it. And every night you got one less dog. It's just and you've got the guy who has three cartridges for the rifle and decides he's going to go out there and then yeah. the other guy hears one shot and then two shots in rapid succession and he just kind of sighs, yeah. starts packing up camp. <laughs> yep. Heading for the closest source of firewood because he knows he can't get out of there, right? Yeah. His only option is to try and keep them at bay. Yeah. Yeah, that was amazing. That could have been a standalone story. That was incredible. Well, it's, it's very reminiscent of some of his short stories, too, just that little bit of it, you know, To Build a Fire or The Thousand Dozen. Or I was actually, as soon as I finished this, I reread To Build a Fire. It's one of my favorite short stories of all time. Uh, very reminiscent of To Build a Fire. Yep. Yeah. He definitely has a theme, doesn't he? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, again, to build a fire, also very, very science fictional in, in aspects. It's like, you know, a uh, man in a hostile alien environment, and it's man against environment. And if you underestimate it, it will kill you. Yep. Uh, it reminded me a lot of, um, 
have space people travel, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. where um, where this guy is, you know, he's out there and basically the equivalent of a spacesuit, and it's inadequate, and he doesn't take sufficient precautions, and uh, he pays the ultimate price. Yeah, that he does. Now, one of the things I think, and again, this this was so very long ago, I'm not convinced, but well, I am convinced. I'm not sure it's uh-huh. accurate. I think that White Fang marks the first time I identified an author as being something worth pursuing. Interesting. Because, I, you know, and again, I, I think we've talked before, I had all the Star Trek logs, I had all the James Blish Star Trek novels, and I read a, those over and over. That's an IP you're following, not, a, not right, an author. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I, I'm reading it because it's Star Trek, not because it's Blish or not because yeah. it was Foster. Yeah. Um, but this, I remember that we read this, and I'm convinced it was a class reading, whether it was a summer reading list or, or a reading class or whatever. But I was so, I liked it so very much. Um, either the teacher or the librarian told me, well, you know that Jack London wrote other books. <laughs> Try this. <laughs> <laughs> and exactly, exactly. And, you know, it, 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 it opened up something, right? Um, because it was, before that, it was just, you know, I'm reading a book after a book after a book, and however they're coming to me, whatever random distribution system is bringing them to me, whether it's the, the teacher or something I picked up because of the cover in a bookstore, yeah. um, suddenly I've now got a path, right? Wow. Uh, look for stuff by this London character. That's amazing. I don't think I could identify that that moment in time for me. But that's what a what a delight to have that to just go. Yeah, I can now. I can go and find more stuff that I know I'm going to like because it's this this guy. Yep. Yeah. And uh, again, Call of the Wild and um, the Sea Wolf. Um, I know that I read those repeatedly. The Sea Wolf. Was it the Sea Wolf? The Sea Captain. The sea the something. The Sea Wolf is. Um, uh, Sabatini. He's got a sea novel in there. I he know that he's got at least does. one sea novel he in there. probably does. He spent some time yeah. maritime. Yeah. All right. So maybe it's not the sea wolf. But anyway. Um, so, yeah. Um, you know, in between his short stories and, and those novels, you know, and I know that I, I wore out a copy of a White Fang and a companion copy of um, um, Call, Call of the, the Wild. Wild. Yeah. Very different ending in those books, right? I haven't. I don't remember the end of Call of the Wild, so don't spoil it for me because I'm going to read okay, it next. Yeah. Well, we'll just say that they're very different. But yeah, I love. I just. I was so happy reading this, and I'm so happy that I went back and revisited it because you know, the little bit that I thought I remembered of it. Well, I mean, it was kind of accurate. There was, in fact, a dog wolf named White Fang, and there was a person with whom he identified at the end. Yeah. Um, but you know what I thought I was the book was about was like the last fifth of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the, I don't know, that's the kind of the, the rewarding part. That's what you want in an adventure novel, you know, is, is uh, steadfast companions who face adversity together and not just, you know, hardship and pain and, and beatings. And that's... <laughs> well, we got a lot of the hardship and pain and beatings. The middle of the book is pretty grim. It's, it's, it's tough going for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, the, this time he spent with Grey Beaver was kind of rough, but he learned the rules and and he walked the line and everything was okay. I wouldn't say fine, but I mean, he was a survivor. He stayed out of trouble for the most part. Um, When he got handed off to... Beauty Smith. Yeah. Um, Man, that book got got ugly. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, his only outlet at that point is just savagery. And the only place he's allowed to point that savagery is, you know, in the dog ring. Yeah. Um, Could almost feel sorry for the other dogs, but... 
I guess. Yeah. yeah. I, the other dogs don't get much uh, characterization. They're just, no. you know, they're just opponents that get slaughtered. Uh, yeah. It's pretty grim. Yep. And then Whedon comes along, little do-gooder, which they're a little bit vague about. Because... Uh, How so? Well, I mean, somebody, you know, one guy asked the other, the bulldog owner, I guess, asked somebody else, who is that? And they say, oh, you know, that's Whedon Scott. I've been saying Whedon Smith. I think it's Whedon Scott. I think you're right. Um, Really should have checked. Really should have brought my Kindle with me. Um, And and says, you know, he's this mucky muck. Um, But they don't really explain because, you know, after a certain point, not much later than that, he moves back down to California and he lives with California where he has a family and a wife and he's, you know, shacked up in a house with a judge. Um, I mean, he's clearly someone of some wealth and education and importance. They never really talk about what's he doing in the Yukon and why is he a somebody in the Yukon other than he has money? Yeah, I assume it's either trading or gold. I mean, isn't called the wild gold? Isn't that what draws everybody to the... Call of the Wild is all about the gold, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it could be that. He could have mining interests up there or trading interests. So yeah. I assume it's something like that. And he but was... Whatever it is, it seems to have been, you know, transient. Because when he moves yeah. to California, it's certainly... We're led to believe this is a permanent transition. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's surprising. It doesn't seem like the... Based on what we know of his life when he gets back to California, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that would draw someone like him up there, that you would have people for that. Exactly. He certainly wouldn't be up there hoping to strike it rich. Yeah. Um, Uh, Except that, except that um, he's, again, he's the kind of guy who's hands-on and and is not afraid to brave the wild. He's He's a man who wrestles against nature and wins. Uh, I think that's important to his characterization. So, yeah, it is kind of murky, though, exactly what and why. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, in terms of character, yeah. He has to be. He has to be up there. Yep, he has to be. Otherwise, the book can't happen. <laughs> well, that, well, that too. Yeah. <laughs> that too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about it, though. I mean, <laughs> it, it was a quick read. Um, I it was a quick read. I remember it being longer. It's 100 pages. It's 100 pages and they fly by. Yeah. Yep. But uh, again, I was just, you know, just smiling to myself as I'm flipping through this thing, just, you know, rediscovering or, you know, discovering, you know, what it was I used to know. Well, how about this? Why is it a favorite? Well, I think in part it meets my definition simply because I know I've read it multiple times. I couldn't put yeah. a number on that, but I know that I had a, a dog-eared um, mm-hmm. copy, <laughs> dog-eared copy of the, the paperback that I, I read multiple times. Um, so just from that perspective, I know it fits. Um, but looking back on it now, again, the, as I'm reading it, it is, it's clicking in my mind. I think that is the moment where, you know, my own evolution happened when I realized, hey, authors are a way to find books I like. That's nice. You know, if, if I can identify if Jack London did a good job for me once, maybe he'll do a good job for me on something so it, else. So it's tied to that particular epiphany. I think so. And that, that came to me as I was reading it. It's certainly not why I chose it. Yeah. Uh, and then, okay, uh, next question. If... Uh, so obviously it was a favorite at a certain stage of your life and you didn't read it for a long time. So you're surprised by a lot of things. How does it hold up? Is it still a favorite? Would you keep it on your favorite list? I not only would keep it on my favorite list, I will be reading Call of the Wild <laughs> sometime in the immediate future. Um, nice. Just because I enjoy it. That's nice. That's yeah. good. I, yeah, I had sort of a different experience with Clockwork Orange. <laughs> 
couple months ago, whenever that was. It's like, yeah, I'm not, oh, yeah. I, I imagine I will go back to a Clockwork Orange, but it'll have to be long enough for a lot of the disappointment <laughs> to fade. Yeah. Yeah. There are things that you ought to read, and then there are things that you read because you simply love to read them. And then there's a small group that fall in both categories where that Venn diagram overlaps, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think it's important to make that distinction. And when we say favorite, it doesn't necessarily mean good. It doesn't necessarily mean you recommend it to someone else. It's just like, this had particular meaning for me, or this is something I, this is something I enjoy returning to. I think that's sort of our, yep. our working definition. This is something I enjoy returning to, or at least have enjoyed returning to. Yeah. So... Case in point, uh, Midnight at the Well of Souls, which is our previous <laughs> previous book, which is just, you know, I read that and I just, you know, just, I just know, I just know it's full of so much bad. And yet, yeah. and yet it entertains me and it delights me and I forgive all its sins. Well, there you go. So. We've, we've, we've got those books. <laughs> all of us do, I'm sure. So it's nice to have a book that, that holds up. Yeah. I mean, cause this White Fang really does. It's just, it's, it's a good book. It's fascinating and it's well-written and it's a great story and it's, uh, it's surprising, surprising and unconventional too, though, certainly in a structure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. That's an interesting point you raised earlier that this this is a book that is um, presented to very young people. Yes. You know, I, think, I think this is standard reading fare for early grade school. Um, and you're right. This, it's brutal. Um, I, think, I think it's recommended by people who are just like, I remember loving this when I was a kid. And they haven't read it in 20 years. And they've forgotten. Probably so. Yeah. I mean, this, this would be worth, you know, revisiting much later in life as, as we have oh, absolutely. joyfully discovered it. Well, you know, when you're kids, or at least when I was a kid, I would read anything. I was just a, I was just a vacuum for books. And I, you know, as soon as I discovered science fiction, it was tearing my way through that. And it's like, oh my God, yeah. a lot of science fiction is so adult in theme. Uh, I should not be anywhere near this stuff, but you know, but you're, you're a kid and you're resilient and you're just like, you know, some of it just like goes over your head and some of it, you just kind of like make a mental note and let it go. <laughs> and, uh, and you come back to it later and go, oh my God. God. Yeah. Yep. You might actually have a book that your parents discover you <laughs> reading and take away from you and don't give back until you're 18. Did that happen to you? That did, but I want to hang, <laughs> hang on to that story because it's on the list of things I want to explore somewhere further down the podcast. Okay. That never happened to me because my parents didn't read science fiction. So they had yep. no idea. Yeah. They only ever banned me from reading two books, uh, as I recall, in advance. They said, These are, this is a book you cannot read. I'm like, wow, okay. What, what book is that? I must know. Uh, two books. Uh, one was The Exorcist, uh, which um, I don't know why. I, my parents were very Catholic. Maybe that was it. Uh, and also it was pretty scary. And uh, at the time, I think it was in seventh or eighth grade. I thought it was inappropriate. Um, which is a great book, by the way. It's a really fun read. Hmm. And the other one was Dianetics. So oh, you, you are not allowed to read Dianetics. I, I might support that second one. I don't think anybody should be allowed to read Dianetics. Yeah, and that's and I have never actually read it. So yeah. Although you know, to be fair, uh, I do get some uh, enjoyment out of L. Ron Hubbard's um, appropriately labeled science fiction books, yeah. Battlefield Earth and such. Battlefield yeah. Earth and such. Yeah, um, I would never go so far as to call it good. Yeah. Um, I think he by himself could have defined the genre of pulp. Yeah, um, but. Unlike Jack London. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. All right. Uh, All right. Anything else on, on uh, White Fang? No, I mean, that was a short book. I guess it gets a, a little short discussion, but 
That's, sure. Yeah. We're both I, enthusiastic I have one, here. One thing to say, which is, and I didn't make a note of all of these, but I encountered many, many words that were unfamiliar to me and were also unfamiliar to my Kindle dictionary. I had a few of those myself. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I never managed to look them up. One, one that I have highlighted here is serrulated, S E R R U L A T E D. I don't even know what it means from context. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, Jack London. I had actually promised myself a few books ago I was going to start keeping a list of all the new vocabulary words that I was introduced oh, yeah? to on this on this uh, podcast. I have failed to do that, but uh, yeah. with serrated in our in our uh, sites here, maybe I'll take it back up. All right, he might have just made it up. I, there are definitely words that he made up that are, are in the dictionary, and it's like, you know, you're using this in a different way than the dictionary does. Yeah, like, I think you're just getting a little creative here. Yeah, which is fine. Yeah, so. Lovecraft loved to do that too. So Shakespeare loved to do that. Well, I mean, he was yeah. inventing language, so. Yeah. yeah. All right. So what have we got to look forward to? Uh, up next, we have another nature-themed book. Uh, kind of, you know, a parallel to White Fang in some ways, but not in others. Uh, called The Girl of the Sea of Cortez by Peter Benchley of Jaws fame. Peter Benchley of Jaws fame. He did something else. He did something else. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. We will see you all in two weeks. See you in two weeks. <laughs>